0: time machine out of a DeLorean we came we saw we kicked its ass this ain't no game Flash a private detective who's run out of luck if he touch me again kill you. <laughs> two for two told you jimmy Dix. i like oh <laughs> is an ex-quarterback who was thrown out of football another tragic tale of wasted youth you're nobody shh don't tell anyone they were trying to clean up their acts. You vacuum, I'll dust. When they got dragged into the dirty world of sports corruption. So you're gonna bribe some senators to legalize gin? Legalize sports gambling. Now, son, we're going to a ball game. They've got one shot. What am I gonna do? Point at the bad guys and shoot? To get the goods. Hey! On the bad guys. This once, I would like to hear you scream. Play some rap music. i <laughs> man. Take your best shot. If they don't kill each other first. That was a bomb? It had a hell of a factory recall. Bruce Willis. Damon Wayans. <laughs> The Last Boy Scout. Danger's my middle name. Lance Cornelius. Tell anybody i kill you.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Film Feast podcast. I'm your host, Matt Bledsoe, and this is volume six of Unscottable, which is our ongoing monthly series on the films of director Tony Scott. And in this episode, we are talking about The Last Boy Scout from 1991, Uh, And tell me talk about it is someone I'm very excited to welcome back to the show. He is a frequent guest on the F This Movie podcast and contributor to their website. And he's also appeared on podcasts such as the Dana Buckler Show, Cobwebs, and the Dorking Out podcast. It's Adam Risky. Adam, thank you for being back here. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. Oh, yeah, I was so excited to be back. As soon as we finished that Mortal Kombat episode way back in... April, which feels like what we talked about before we started recording like years ago. <laughs> I was like, can't wait to talk to Adam again about something, so very excited to talk to you again about this movie in particular as well. so i'm I'm excited to do this one. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I guess uh, it's been a while since you've been here. how how have things been going? How's your movie watching going? <laughs> um,
2: it's going pretty good i'm I uh, right now like just mostly watching stuff I have to like write about or do things with for like at this movie or like other podcasts. Um, but I'm looking forward to like just binging tons of horror movies in um, in October. And then I, I usually wait to watch non-horror stuff like of the new releases until um November. But I can't do that this year because it's like, the Sopranos movie comes out on HBO max on like October 1st and will be gone on November 1st. So I'm just like, oh. okay, I'm watching all horror and the Sopranos movie. And it's like, <laughs> Oh, wait a minute. I'll watch all horror and the Sopranos movie and bond. Cause I can't wait three weeks <laughs> for bond. And then it's like, okay, okay. That's it. That's it. It's like, wait a minute. But then there's Dune. So it's like, all right, I'll just have to mix it up a little bit more than usual, but I'm uh yeah, I'm, I'm uh, kind of, kind of laying low with the movie watching right now and like because i know i'm going to be watching so many in october so i'm trying not to like
1: overdo it <laughs> i understand yeah I, I do this kind of the same thing you do I, I try to go like all horror movies during october but they're making it really hard this year because yeah. all these release dates of things like the uh, new bond movie uh dune the french dispatch uh it's another the one S- yeah, you mentioned the Sopranos movie. I mean it's like it's like they're really stacking the deck this year. I can usually wait, but I'm like, I gotta I gotta watch some non horror stuff, I think, in the middle of, of the horror. But um I'm usually pretty I stick to it pretty strictly. But um and yeah, this will be I will say to people, this will be our last episode of September, and then October kicks off and it'll be all horror for us too. I think a lot of podcasts do that. Like I know FS Movie does that, they have Scary Movie Month, which is always a ton of fun. Um, I know Daniel's Cobwebs is doing all horror for October, so um, we're joining on that, too. It's just like it feels it feels like the right thing to do. So,
2: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. I did. You see the they came out with like the final trailer for Halloween kills today.
1: Yeah. And I avoided it because <laughs> I feel like I've seen I've seen a lot already and I'm going to see it. I'm like, I don't I don't need any more. You know,
2: <laughs> I'm going to see it, too. But I thought it was funny because like everything is like burnt orange font and black and then like but then at the end of this trailer it's like they got the scary voiceover guy or something it's like halloween kills and it's like october 15th only in theaters and then there's like this bright like icon it's like and on peacock (laughs) (laughs) and the trailer is almost like worth watching for that because everything is like fitting that aesthetic but then it's just like, "Hey, you can't dim the cock."
1: <laughs> <laughs> Somebody from NBC said a memo: "Don't you dare dim the cock." <laughs> you turn it uh, up. <laughs> you got some feathers
2: fly, my man.
1: <laughs> now I now I have to watch it just for at least the ending. Um, yeah, that's really funny. I uh, I feel like people had warned <laughs> that that. Maybe people seen it already or something where they thought this trailer gave away a lot more. I don't know. I, I just kind of was like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm kind of staying away. Cause again, I know I'm going to see it. Um Maybe I'll just jump to the very end of the trailer and watch the peacock part.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's just so weird. Cause it's, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's just like, Hey, if you didn't know this was content, now you do.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, Are you going to go see that in a theater, or are you staying home and going to watch it on Peacock? I'm curious.
2: (laughs) I I mean, like, I can access Peacock, like, through, because I have, like, everybody has the free service with ads. I think you need to probably subscribe to, like, the non-ad one to get. Oh, okay. But I'm going to just see it in the theater, because, like, I always am looking for, like, a couple movies to watch, too justify my amc stubs a-list membership so with everything being like hbo max it's giving me fewer options to do that so oh yeah that's that's true you gotta (laughs) um my my, um my thought process for like going to see movies in the theater is so fucked up compared to what it used to be it used (laughs) to be like it used to be like, I want to go to the movies. What movie do I want to see the most? And then I would just go see that movie. And now it's like, well, I've seen like almost all of the Clint Eastwood movies since Unforgiven. So I, I should probably watch Cry Macho. But then it's like, but it's on HBO Max. So I should just watch it at home. Right. But then like, I'll be, I'll press play and I'm like, but I want popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, should I go to the theater just for popcorn? And then it's like, well, I could make popcorn. And then it's like, but then I got to go to the store and get popcorn. And it's like, turns into this whole thing. And then I'm just like, I'll watch Reminiscence. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: then, oh. <laughs>
2: um, okay, so I started Reminiscence in August and I watched like 15 minutes of it. Then I watched another five minutes of it at the beginning of September. And then like, it was leaving H. HBO max yesterday. So I was like, well, I should probably watch the rest. And what I ended up doing was watching 10 more minutes of it. So I'm like 32 minutes into this 115 minute movie or whatever. So I plan on like, when it comes out on Redbox, I'll watch like another 20 minutes. (laughs) Like when it comes back to HBO max, I'll watch like another 30 minutes. And then like, when it's in like TNT syndication, that's when I'll finish it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love this plan. This is, it's a very thought out, like a long-term plan for this movie and it's it's a very much a tnt movie at some point it'll be on tnt like yeah. um yeah that movie was uh not great i thought
2: <laughs> no i mean I, I i love rebecca ferguson so like that's the only thing that's keeping me interested so far but the uh, oh yeah
1: that, that's yeah. why i watched it too I, <laughs> I brought it up on a podcast with daniel i was like i was there for rebecca ferguson and i mean the movie still didn't, they couldn't hold up. I felt like it It had so much going on. Like it was trying to be so many different things and so many different movies. And it just, uh, yeah, it's kind of a mess. Like, I mean, it's interesting because I kind of like a, like a big kind of original swing like that, but it, it mm-hmm. kind of falls apart. So um, yeah. I'm excited to hear your thoughts down the line, maybe two years from now when you finish reminiscing, It's like you put all the pieces together.
2: Yeah, that'll be like episode 900 of if this movie is because I'll have just finished it.
1: <laughs> Finally called the last 20 minutes on TNT. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. It's all right. Uh, so. like,
2: it's like I got 10 minutes left. I'm just going to read the script. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, I was like, what's the final, like, final, final version of how you could do that? I think read the script is the best way. (laughs) Just novelization or something. Um, that's, (laughs) yeah, that, yeah, that movie was disappointing, I thought. (laughs) So, um, but, uh, but yeah, I do, I want to get into Last Boy Scouts. Now we're both excited to talk about this, and I guess I'll start off, um, because this is all about Tony Scott, the series we're doing on Scottable, uh, and I think I have an inkling to your your answer for this question, but I was curious just your general overall overall thoughts on like Tony Scott and his his movies. So
2: I'm I'm a pretty big fan of Tony Scott. Um, I don't think that I like. There's I I think a lot of men of our our age range um, like adore Tony Scott, and I don't know. I adore movies of Tony Scott's and I really like his direction most of the time, but then like, he does have a lot of movies that I would say he has like more than a handful of movies where I just, I, it just does nothing for me. Like days of thunder would be one or like domino is another one or man on fire. I'm kind of mixed on. It's like a, a lot, especially a lot of his later stuff. Like the fan is like fascinating, but it's not good. And, um, yeah. so, but he has, like, when he's on, he's on. And um, I think The Last Boy Scout is kind of what I sort of, like, dub his effortless trilogy, where it's, like, he's so on top of his game, where he makes it look easy, even though, like, just based off of the production history of this movie, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get into, like, it was anything but. But, like, he makes this movie seem like you know, it's like when Spielberg made Jurassic Park, like he could do this in his sleep. It's like the last Boy Scout True Romance and Crimson Tide. It's like a matching of the perfect director with great scripts for like just the right material for that filmmaker. And um so I, I, I think when he's, you know, when he's uh, on his game, there's really few people better. And I guess I, just because they're brothers. I'm more of a Tony Scott guy, for sure, than a Ridley
1: Scott guy. Yeah, I mean, I get Pago's not saying I'm doing a Tony Scott show, but I, I'm more of a Tony Scott guy than a Ridley Scott guy. But, like, yeah. I always say that Ridley's highs were are so high, like Blade Runner and Alien are just, like, game-changing movies, masterpieces, and um, people kind of gravitate to him more. I think overall, I, I definitely like Tony more, and I'm so glad you brought up... Um, that last boy scout kind of starts this amazing little run, this little trilogy for Tony Scott, because this is like my favorite stretch of his career, probably from this True Romance and Crimson Tide, which, like you said, you put it perfectly, perfect pairing of director with like he gets great scripts for all three. Um, it, you know, it's just great work. Like it's some of his best work, and it's like in this amazing little little run here. Um so yeah, this uh, this whole stretch is like fascinated me, and I think it's like some of his best stuff. I I do love Man on Fire like a lot. It may be my favorite. I keep I keep dancing around like what's my favorite one, <laughs> but um probably my personal favorite. I still think Crimson Tide might be the, is probably technically the best movie he made. Honestly.
2: <laughs> see I see like True Romance and Crimson Tide are the two
1: that I debate like which is
2: my favorite. But then when I think about Last Boy Scout, I'm like that it's and not to you know give away everything right off the bat but like to me it's like a perfect action movie so it's like how could that be number three (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I can clearly think to myself i'm like okay enemy of the state is my number four top gun is my number five but like these three it's like i every position i put them in one through three seems wrong and also (laughs) right it doesn't make any sense
1: yeah i i I had the same problem i was thinking going in i'm like because i thought i liked i'll say this i like i last boy scout more every single time i watch it and now it's like one of my favorites of his but even being one of my favorite tony scott movies it's it probably is like four or five in the ranking but it's still so good it's like it, it feels weird to rank it that like low i say but it's just yeah i just i do really like it um but it's like how do you argue with like Crimson Tide or True Romance and it um and I love Man on Fire. So um yeah, it's it's amazing. Yeah, and it's and more amazing that it's I think it's such a good movie. And like you hinted at or kind of mentioned that the production was like complete chaos. Like um I have so many notes just on the production of the movie, (laughs) like reading the the book I have on Tony Scott and going to Wikipedia and the IDB trivia, it's like and it's every it's insanity. And it's like they saved it in editing, basically, is what everyone says. Is that Tony shot like so much uh, material and always had so many cameras going and he just brought them all this film and this like team of editors, some like really great uh, editors at the time saved the thing, um, because there were some like test screenings that were people said were terrible and like and it's amazing how watchable the movie is with how it sounds like it was just complete madness behind the scenes. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I um so I I've been a big fan of this movie since 92. I didn't see it in theaters in 91, but I saw I definitely saw it when it came out on video and um I was at a convention and Daniel Harris was there and I met her and um I'll get into that a little bit more in a second because I have thoughts about Daniel Harris at conventions, <laughs> but um I asked her I was just like, "Hey, how? What was it like working on The Last Boy Scout? And this was before I knew that Bruce Willis had like a reputation of being uh difficult. So <laughs> I, I was like, I, I'm like, is Bruce Willis as awesome as he is? <laughs> like as John? <laughs> I was like, well, how is Bruce Willis? And then she, she she like her body language like completely changed, and then she just kind of took a beat, and then she just looked at me and she goes, not nice. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Bruce Willis is a jerk. <laughs> so, but um the Daniel Harris thing is okay. So she goes to like every horror movie convention and now she's doing this thing where it's like you could get the fo- the professional photo op with Daniel Harris, but it's like it's not good enough to just get it with Daniel Harris. She's now like but i but she's dressed as Jamie from Halloween four. It's like in the clown costume at the end of Halloween four. And I'm like, that's weird. I don't want that. <laughs> and then it's like, and then the new one is just like, you could get a regular photo op with Daniel Harris or like her covered in blood. And I'm like, I don't want that. That doesn't sound fun for either of us. And then it's like, but I would say this mm-hmm. if they did a photo op where it's like her and the the puppet furry Tom, I would do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I would say you don't need a clown outfit, you don't need blood. Just take, put the puppet in your hand, and we'll do a last Boy Scout uh, picture here. <laughs> like, um, yeah. she, I I follow her on Instagram. I want to say, and it does seem like she goes to every like horror convention like around. I mean, she's, she's making, done, but it's
2: just yeah, it, it it's <laughs> like it's just kind of funny because like it, it like her and Kane Hodder are like at every single one
1: oh yeah <laughs> it seems like yeah they go to all of them and um she seems nice to her fans i mean if she enjoys doing it she's making a living that's good but I, yeah i'm with you i think it's i wouldn't want those photos i'm like you can just be yourself it's fine <laughs> like, yeah exactly you don't do all this this uh fancy stuff um so we got not i was gonna bring her up in the movie I, and you, you brought her up already I, I i think my note just said i'm worried about her character in this movie is she okay <laughs> Like this child seems like she's dealing with a lot of stuff in the movie. She seems like
2: not so much like the Hallenbeck kid, but she seems like Al and Peggy Bundy's kid.
1: <laughs> yeah, I could I could definitely see that.
2: There's no there's no shot that she's just gonna like like she calls him sir at the end of the movie. It's like there's no shot that that's gonna stick.
1: Right. <laughs> She'll be back to swearing and doing crazy stuff the next day. <laughs> like, yeah. it's also this weird mix in her in the movie for her character seeming... She's supposed to be 13, and they talk about her going to parties and stuff like that, but then also, like, she acts, I think, kind of childish, like, with the puppet, and kind of, you know, the puppet talks, like, she talks to the puppet. I'm like, this is strange, isn't it? <laughs> like, it's a weird mix of what's going on with her.
2: Yeah, and also, like, I think... Uh, it, Shane Black and Tony Scott like don't want you to worry about her too much, even though she's in danger. So like when right. she gets kidnapped at the end, she seems like pretty chill about it. And she's just like, she's like like Taylor uh, Negron, like puts her on the phone and he's like talk basically like talk to your dad, prove that you're still alive. And she's just like, Hey dad, it's me. I'm okay. <laughs> and he's just like, All right, I'll meet you at the stadium
1: you <laughs> will be there just yeah. sit tight sit tight um yeah she that's a good point she doesn't really have much fear of that much in this movie it seems like she's pretty cool she walks into a a, a oh, field yeah. or, a, port. <laughs> it's like a Mexican standoff and then she's just
2: like hey by the way. <laughs> and I, I also I like all the henchmen they're just like they think nothing of it that this like girl right. is just in the middle of the woods with like a hand puppet and it's just like can you tell these guys a joke (laughs) bruce was like yeah sure but uh take the puppet yeah about the furry tom thing is like kind of indicative of um i saw the mechanics of the shane black script like really clearly this time where it's like he does all this stuff to set up things just to like bring them up like a scene later so it's like he has to talk about like what, what are shredders so we can set up that there's shredders in the next scene and what they do. And we know that, or it's like, he writes uh you know, bomb on a piece of paper, but he misspells it, but he misspells it. So they can only have a joke that it's Polish for fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Or like, you know, uh, I, I rate her on, you know, three fingers on my or, or on my on my hand scale. It's three fingers. It's like I give up three fingers to sleep with her. And it's just like only does it. So like in the scene later, he could ask how many fingers is my wife on, the, on your finger scale? It's like there's so many like little things like that and they're enjoyable. They're funny most of the time. But it is just like if I'm thinking about it, like I can't unsee it.
1: <laughs> yeah that's how i've gotten with a lot of shane black scripts funny enough like you bring this up like and i just kind of see he's got things that he loves to do like i mean he's got tells like i don't, I can't think of many other hollywood writers that if i didn't know who wrote the movie you show me the movie i'm like this is a shane black script right it's like it's two guys in la uh trying to solve a crime it's kind of a neo-noir there's like the way the dialogue is like the way you just mentioned how he sets things up and they pay off. Like, um, I like most of his stuff. It's just has, it's very clearly, you know, it's very Shane Black. Most everything he writes is like, Oh, it's a Shane Black script. You know, it's got all these hallmarks of his stuff.
2: (laughs) Yeah. He's, he's big on like setting things during Christmas, although he doesn't do that. (laughs) At least I don't think so. But, um, Yeah. I I, I love that. This is kind of a tangent, but I love um, that the L.A. Stallions have such a dramatic season where it's like one game. It's the Billy Cole game. And then another game. It's the one where there's like snipers on on the (laughs) light. It's like imagine if you had season tickets. It's just like, I don't know if it's safe to go to the Stallions games. I'm not. It's like I'm not re-upping first night, the 92 season.
1: (laughs) So I was just thinking it was like. We're kind of traumatized going to these stallion games with all these things that keep happening i'm like i don't think it's safe to go to these games anymore <laughs> like it's i i also love we're all over the place but that's okay i thought we would be the I, in the opening a couple things about the opening uh the friday night football song may be one of the best like made up for a movie songs ever in my opinion <laughs> like it love definitely that. sounds like a football song yeah it's amazing i wish they actually had friday night football and they could just use that song because <laughs> it's so good um and then but that whole like the way that Tony Scott decides to like light the stadium in the opening scene is like a prison yard. It's like it's like and, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous because like we NFL games are usually very like bright and well lit. And this one is just like spotlights and it's like raining and you probably couldn't see anything if you're watching on TV. Like I was just thinking this time I was like, I I love how this is like. Heightened for the movie, but it makes no sense if you're actually watching this as a football game at home, <laughs> like the way yeah. the stadium is lit up.
2: <laughs> he has very interesting ideas about sporting events. It works better in this one because, you know, if it's a torrential downpour, they'll still play football, but like it really doesn't work in the fan where mm-hmm. it's like it would call a rain delay on that like game at the end of the movie, like in a heartbeat, but then it's just like anything goes. <laughs> so. It, it's kind of interesting in that regard. I think it's funny, like, I didn't notice this before, but on this viewing I did, where, um you know, Milo, the henchman, like, is talking on the phone with Billy Cole, and he's just like, he's basically like, you better start getting in the end zone, Billy, or you know what's going to happen to you. And then, like, Billy Cole just, like, murders people and kills himself, and it's just like, why don't you just try to go for the touchdowns and, like... <laughs> Like, if you like, like, I guess like what they're going to do to him is so much worse. than, But he's still going to die. But he's like, I'm going to do it because it's not going to hurt as much when I do it. So it's like, I don't it doesn't make any sense. It's like he's he knows that he's just going to, like, kill himself and he's going to die. But it's just like, but I'm still going to try to make it work. So
1: I don't know. <laughs> I No, I question this, too. I'm glad you brought this up. Like, I love oh. this whole opening because it's super memorable. And this is the point about this movie for me because I don't think I actually watched this the whole movie from start to finish till sometime in the past 10 years. Like, but for years, I would catch the opening. I would catch the song, and I'd catch up to Billy Cole shooting himself in the head and say, ain't life a bitch? And that was, like, all I saw of the movie was the opening. I had some friend who was, like oh, man, you got to watch the opening last sports guy. It's so crazy. And it was crazy. I was like, why does he have a gun on a football field? What's going on? And um, somehow I never watched the whole movie. But, like, I don't understand either because he had to, like, score a touchdown. (laughs) And I I did – I don't think I picked up that he was on, like, PCP, which is what I read. So that might have really impaired his judgment. (laughs) And it's like – so he's not thinking straight. But, yeah, I'm like, well, you – you could just try to score. You don't need to start shooting people and getting in the end, you know, to, and shoot yourself. But I was, I was confused by that too, honestly, but it's a very memorable opening. <laughs> like,
2: like it would make more sense if he, he, I mean, it's not as dramatic and it's not as like, I guess, you know, action, you know, ish that like, for him to not shoot the other football players but two things one is he shoots the first one in the face then he shoots the other ones like in the knee or the leg or whatever it's like why don't you shoot the first guy in just the leg too right <laughs> i thought that too <laughs> so that was one thing and then also um it's like it would make more sense if he like tries to go for the for the the touchdown doesn't get into the end zone and then is just like oh i gotta kill
1: myself now <laughs> right right like what Instead. But, like, yeah, it's – I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're fine. I questioned all the same things you did, so I'm glad we're talking about it. It'd be, it made more sense if he, like, had an attempt and got stopped and then, you know, maybe some, the time was going to run out or something. And he got really desperate and, like, you know, just grabbed the – you know, took off and shooting people. <laughs> but it's, like, immediately he's like, I just got to start shooting people. You know, it's, like yeah. – he doesn't even hesitate. <laughs> so
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean like in 91 I, or 92 like I I liked this movie more than football itself. Wow. And I still I still do to be honest. I like football, but I think I think it's if I if I had a choice of either watching football or The Last Boy Scout and like I couldn't watch the other for the rest of my life, I think I would choose The Last Boy Scout.
1: I, you know what? I would say the same thing. I went through like a major football phase like, I don't know, 10 years ago when I was all into fantasy football and I was obsessed with it. And it, now, I'm, now I now go last Boy Scout. I don't, I'd rather have that than football. <laughs> so I'm with you. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, I, the, like the opening, we can talk about the logic of it, but I it, it looks great and it is memorable. So it's like you, you start off the movie like, wh- where is this going to go? Because this starts off so crazy that you're like, what is this movie about? Where is it going? Um, and... He's so good openings
2: it's like you think of um whatchamacallit there was uh, the hunger like that's no. an amazing thing i don't i don't particularly love the the rest of the movie but like that opening is incredible and then this one's got an amazing opening and um you know true romance has like an immediate attention getter that's more like the, the script though with tarantino's monologues but yeah, he knows. He knows how to
1: kick off a movie for sure. <laughs> he definitely does. Um. So okay, I'm just looking. at My I have so many notes. Like, uh, yeah. I'm sure you read about how basically everyone on the set hated each other. <laughs> like, Bruce Willis, and Damon Wayans hated each other. Tony yeah. Scott and Joel Silver hated each other. Uh, Bruce Willis and Joel Silver ended up hating each other by the end of the movie and never worked together again. <laughs> like, um, and like you mentioned, like, yeah, Bruce Willis sounds like he was just. On like a real power trip at this time, um, because every story that I read, like every co-star, everybody in the crew was like, "Yeah, Bruce Willis did this. He did that. Like he was pulling the strings. He was on like an ego trip. He was kind of an asshole." <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's it's amazing. The movie works. It got finished and works because like it just sounds like Bruce Willis is just going on this trip, and I, I read this, I thought it was interesting, that, like, I think it got worse because Hudson Hawk came out in the middle of making this movie, and mm-hmm. it bombed, and then him and Joel Silver, like, Bruce and Joel Silver freaked out, and then really, like, got nervous. <laughs> they were like, oh my god, we need a hit. Um, yeah. Just chaos. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about this yet, but I remember you had messaged me and said you had a Bruce Willis theory and a Joe Hallenbeck theory. I don't think they were related. Or no. They- they're two separate ones. Um, I could, yeah, I could definitely talk about those
2: now. Um, so do you want to hear the Joe Hallenbeck, um, Jimmy Dix theory first? Or do you want to hear like the Bruce Willis as an actor theory first?
1: I'm i I'm curious about that one first. The Bruce Willis as an actor. <laughs>
2: okay. So think back. What, is, what are the last like really good movies that Bruce Willis made? And my answer is Looper and Moonrise Kingdom. And that's in 2012. And then okay, that's what yeah. I started to do in 2013. It was like a good day to die hard. And then like a lot of, you know, direct to video garbage. And, you know, he works for a day. He gets paid a million dollars a day. He usually works for like one to two days. And then he's off of the, he's the second lead. He's the guy who can sell it to international markets. But like Chad Michael Murray's the star of the movie or like just. <laughs> metcalf is the star of the movie um so my theory is that bruce will and he's a miserable bastard he only gets more and more miserable with every year <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i think about bruce willis is that in 2012 after looper he was either bitten by a vampire or granted immortality and then 2013, he realized what a bad idea it is and like he regrets the decision, and he's just been taking it out on people ever since. And the reason <laughs> he does all these movies is because he knows that he's going to age like David Bowie in The Hunger. So he needs to set himself up for the eternities, like the hundreds of years that he's going to live. So that's why he's getting all this money before anybody notices that he's an immortal. <laughs>
1: Amazing makes more sense than anything else I can think of for why, why he can't see these terrible movies. Like, uh, and he's looked the same for a long time. You might be onto something, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, I'm so I like if like if he
2: ends up in like a Blade movie and he's playing like the evil vampire king, he's he's like nudging us in the ribs. I'm right, he's like, this is what it really is. And I yeah. need to tell people, but I can't tell people. <laughs> right. It's like so that's the... my, it's my Bruce Willis theory to bring it back to reality, though, because I know that's just a nonsense theory. I know. but uh, I, I love it. That was good. <laughs> my thing with uh, Bruce Willis and Damon Waynes' characters in The Last Boy Scout is that it's basically it's a wonderful life. And Jimmy Stewart is Jimmy Dix and Clarence is Bruce Willis. Wow,
1: and,
2: ok, <laughs> ok. And then Bruce Willis, so Bruce Willis is not quite it's not quite like a one to one, but like he's he's got something to prove. Like he's, you know, he's lost all faith in everything. So he kind of is like Jimmy Stewart. But he, I think the way for Bruce Willis to get back to believing in humanity again is to save Jimmy Dix um because Jimmy Dix is lost. He's like his wife and his baby died in a car accident. He's hooked on uh, drugs. It was part of the reason why he got run out of the league along uh, along with gambling. He's just like this guy who's aimless and going nowhere. And then Bruce Willis is you know the titular last Boy Scout. He's the do-gooder. He's the guy who's completely lost his way and has to kind of earn his wings back. And his way to do that is to basically save. His favorite football player, Jimmy Dix. So like, and then Jimmy Dix at the end of the movie, you know, realizes, hey, there is life after, you know, tragedy. There is life after football. I can be this private eye. I've got this new best friend. And then Bruce Willis is like, I've got this new best friend. And that's a very Bruce Willis thing where it's like a male friendship is will solve everything. It's like (laughs) like one strong male friendship will solve everything that's a that's a thread through a lot of his action movies like from die hard Die Hard with a vengeance to like even the sixth sense you could say that is like if if him and Haley Joel Osment were friends um it's like i think i and i just think at the end of the movie it's basically joe hallenbeck gets his wings and jimmy dix realizes it's a wonderful life <laughs>
1: amazing i love that theory (laughs) like maybe this was a secret christmas movie from shane black under the radar (laughs) like it's It's his wonderful life um now i can pair those two up at christmas
2: too yeah it's not perfect but i think it's i I think there are there is something to
1: it a little bit i know i think you're onto something i think there's something there actually um it is and and I'm, (laughs) i'm glad you just kind of talked about the two of them because for as much as apparently they didn't like each other um I really like them together in this movie. And I think it works really well for most of the movie when they aren't supposed to like each other. So I was curious what you thought of them as a, as a duo in this movie, uh, Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans.
2: This is some of the best chemistry that either of them have had with an on screen partner in anything. It's crazy that like, they did not like, maybe it's because they did not like each other and there's like some tension there, but like, I, I would have thought by the end of this shoot, they were like going to be buds. Like, cause (laughs) I mean, I think their chemistry is just as good as Willis with Reginald Vell Johnson. I think it's just as good as him with Samuel L. Jackson. It's, um, he seems to, like, they seem to get a kick out of, like, playing off of each other. And it's, some of it's the script, but some of it is not the script. Like, some of it is just kind of, like, line readings. Like, one of the things that is so funny to me is, like, this was during the time when, like, Damon Wayans was like a comedy assassin like he could just like fire one off and it's like some of the funniest shit ever and it was mostly like character work but and he's playing a normal guy in on this one so it's a little bit different but like we watched the movie for like 30 minutes and then there's a scene where they go into Halle Berry's apartment after she's been killed and we're thinking for 30 minutes god this Joe Hallenbeck guy what is his deal He is such a He's such a, a scold. He's such a creep. Like, he's just, like, the worst of the worst. He's just, gu- like, gutter trash. And then, like, Damon Wayans just fires off real quick. He's just like, I want to meet the bitch that fucked you up. <laughs> <laughs> and that line is funny, but it also, like, immediately humanizes Bruce Willis's character. Because Damon Waynes, who we like at that point, is just, like... There's a reason why this guy is like this. Like, it's not his fault entirely. Like, there, I, he's not a lost cause. So, I don't know. I just, I, he's, there's just some lines in this movie that are just so great. So, so great. And to your point, I mean, the chemistry between the two of them is just awesome.
1: Yeah, it's uh, I do love that line too. It's i meet the bitch that fucked you up" because the way he delivers it is so perfect, and it really it made me laugh today pretty hard when I was rewatching the movie. Um, because yeah, I mean the the thing I was saying about this too is like, uh, yes, it's a a really it's a good action movie. It's a lot of fun, but I felt like there are just so many memorable lines, and they're delivered so well by (laughs) because it's a really good cast all around, but especially Bruce Willis and uh Damon Wayans, just like just crushing it, you know, anything they say is just it's a memorable line or it's a funny line or something. Um uh, it's like of course credit to the script because it's Shane Black and he's very good at that kind of dialogue, but um it really keeps it like moving along because I did kind of notice like it's an action movie, but like a lot of the action is like kind of put into the last like 30 minutes of the movie. Like the movie really ramps up in the forest kind of standoff. Cause then yeah. it's like forest standoff, car chase all the stuff at the stadium, you know, Damon Wayans riding a horse and it's just like all this crazy. Stuff. And it's like really back back loaded with the action. But, um, but all the other stuff before that is just like their chemistry and the snappy dialogue and, you know, just them kind of moving things along. Uh, I'm trying to think of some more favorite lines. There's so many, I do love when uh, <laughs> Taylor and Negron, um, the cop pulls them over and he has that <laughs> kind of a, kind of a silly line. You think about it, but it works as he delivers so well and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, officer, this bullet seems to have too many, or this gun is not have too many bullets in it. He shoots him, you know. I just butchered that line a little bit. But just stuff like that, like, uh, um, yeah. he's kind of, like, off the cuff, like, silly lines, but they're delivered so well. And uh, um, I do want to admit, Taylor Negron in this movie is, like, a really, like, uh, creepy, <laughs> like, good henchman. He's a real, like, weird guy. Like, he just has this vibe about him that is off-putting, I feel like. <laughs>
2: Yeah, he has, th- this movie has a lot of, like, off-kilter villains, which I really do like. Because like, yeah. you um, cause you've got, like, Taylor Negron, who, like, later would be basically, like, I mean, he was, I, I don't know, like, his entire filmography, but I'm thinking of, like, Nothing But Trouble or, like, Angels in the Outfield, where, like, he's fucking sitting in nachos and his nachos covered on his ass. It's like, he's the he's the guy that you take pot shots at. He's like Bronson Pinchot, but like yeah. in this movie, <laughs> they make him into this ice cold ultimate badass. Like he's the Everett McGill in Under Siege 2. It's like pretty great. And then <laughs> like also, you know, you've got a lot of like quirky character actors playing some of the other henchmen. You got like Kim Cote, Cote or Codius, or Cotus, or Coats or whatever, who's been in everything. And he was like, you know, the creepy guy, dude in the middle of the ocean and water world and stuff. And he's in this one. He's like, you know, punching like Bruce Willis when he's, when Bruce Willis is off, asking for a cigarette. And then the other guy in that movie is like that one dude who's in like all the movies. And he was like in the Elvira Mistress of the Dark movie. And he looks like a cartoon character. And it's, um <laughs> and then like that main heavy is like the football team, the Stallions owner. And this guy is just, like, such, he's, like, such the corporate villain. But, like, it works because he just seems, like, right out of, like, his mom evil. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there's never been a breath he's
1: taken that hasn't been malevolent. <laughs> yeah, he seems, like, effortlessly an, an evil bastard. Like, and it's funny to me because, uh, like, he's such a evil man in this movie but i i knew him uh from when i was forced to watch walker texas ranger as a child with babies with a babysitter <laughs> and he's like the kindest gentlest like old man on that that show and then yeah. i see him in this and he's such an an evil guy and he does it so like it's so effortless i, I was like is this like supposed to be an evil jerry jones owner of the cowboys <laughs> like it's this... yeah it's a good
2: call yeah <laughs> My my favorite of all the henchmen is the Scrabble guy. I love that. I love that dude.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's,
2: it's like out of nowhere. There's like an Aaron Sorkin character, and he's like a henchman.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so many weird, yeah, henchmen peppered in throughout the movie. <laughs> like just these guys that just have a look to them. Like it's like I think it comes back to like casting, like. Because uh, apparently, the um, I always say that Tony Scott's really good at casting, and of course, casting directors help with that, obviously. And I was reading that the casting director in this movie was like a woman who I can't remember her name right now, but she's like a renowned casting director, um, who'd worked since like the 50s, yeah, <laughs> and uh, and did a really good job with like everybody, like in this movie, is like r- weird or you know, recognizable in some way, like memorable, like all the small parts, um. Uh, and, oh, that reminds me, too, is so much of this movie. I just keep jumping all over the place. But um, did you read that originally, instead of Chelsea Field playing Bruce Willis' wife, it was uh, Marge uh, Helgenberger, Helgenberger? I can never say her name right. Mark Helgenberger. No, I, I didn't know that. And then, yeah, for some reason, I could not find out why, but Bruce Willis, like, really, like, threw his weight around that and, like, didn't like that casting choice and and demanded they get Chelsea Field. And I don't know why, <laughs> like, I don't know if he had a crush on her. He was like, get rid of Mark Helgenberger. get me Chelsea Field. And he, like, went over everybody's head and, like, told Joe Silver and Tony Scott, the cast director, was like, I want Chelsea Field. And I was really curious to find out why, but I couldn't find any information on why he wanted her so bad. It's like, she doesn't look like a Beck.
2: <laughs> fire the Helgenberger. Yeah. Um, I, I never noticed this until this viewing, but Chelsea Field. Okay, so it it needs to be said that like this movie hates women. Like it hates yeah. women.
1: Yeah, I, I was reading. Uh, I think it was in um. Roger Ebert wrote something, or it might have been in the book, the Tony Scott book I have. And uh, it, well, because Shane Black wrote this, coming off a breakup that was very bitter, apparently, and it shows. Yeah. I think. And uh, yeah, you're right. I it's it does it does kind of hate women. I don't want me to cut you off, but keep going that point. But it definitely does.
2: No and I and it's a tricky thing because us liking I, I I mean like I I think I it's safe to speak for you as well as me it's um us liking this movie isn't like endorsing every ideology that the movie has right. um yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of movies of this time period that like really you know are you know generously titled like labeled macho but like part of that package was they were pretty, you know, they put the woman on the sidelines. They were the damsels in distress in this one. They're just basically pills. I'll put it that way. Um, or victims and it's, you know, I doesn't make it a better movie if they make them empowered or does it make it a, a a worse movie? I don't know what's to say, what to say. It's not the movie that they made, but, um, I'll go in a roundabout way to say basically like Chelsea field has nothing to do. However, she has one of my favorite moments in the entire movie and it's right at the very end. It's when uh, Jerry Jones has taken the briefcase with the bomb back to his house. And then they're in the parking lot of the stallions game, Damon Wayne's Chelsea field and Bruce Willis. And then all of a sudden there's this giant explosion and Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans know that Jerry Jones just blew himself up, and they start laughing. And Chelsea Field is just like looking at Bruce Willis, and she just goes, "What?" She's <laughs> <laughs> just like, "What is so funny? Like, why are you guys laughing?" But she's like unfazed by like that there was this giant explosion. She's just like,
1: "What was? I missed a joke? What was? What's so funny?" <laughs> I did laugh that day because like. It's it's so weird with no context, and she has no context really. And like to have to two guys just laugh at an explosion in the distance, and I'd be like, "Why are you guys laughing? Someone probably just died." <laughs> like, yeah, it's 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 kind of like the movie in nutshell. I thought the movie is, it's very violent. Like it got cut down from NC seventeen to make an R because of the violence, uh, which is tough to do in America. And they uh, and it it feels like it's almost. That part is, I was like, I felt the movie just laughing at crazy violence. Like a guy just got blown up, and who knows how many other people they're just like, ha, ha ha, like you know, the end. So like that's the movie kind of in you know, a nutshell. And I don't know why I like it so much. I feel like it says a lot about me that maybe it's not good. I don't I don't know. But um it's a very <laughs> it's a weird movie because everyone's like, oh, it's it's such a funny, fun movie. But then it has like all these like touches of darkness throughout, which probably is from the The original Shane Black script, which apparently is a much darker uh, script, which happened to him a lot. I feel like, like, Lethal Weapon was darker. He left Lethal Weapon 2 because he wanted to go darker and kill Mel Gibson's character, you know, kill Riggs. um, But they wouldn't let him do it. So it's like he keeps trying to pull these dark things into movies and people keep, like, stopping him. (laughs) You know, it's like he wants to go darker and then some producers like, you got to tone it down a little bit, buddy. Yeah,
2: I don't. I I think that's a really good point because like the movie, no matter how dark The Last Boy Scout gets, it never feels that way. It always feels like like it's like this fun jaunt. It's like <laughs> yeah. very watchable, like easy to leave on type of movie. You never are like, oh, I got it. Like even when um Damon Wayans is giving the monologue about like you know car jump to curb, pow you know, my son lived for 18 minutes. We call him Alex the accountant because he would have been an accountant. The entire time you're just like, you're like, oh, it'll be fun again in, in a minute. Yeah. I'll just let him, I'll let him have this and it'll be fun again in a minute. It's yeah. like, it's like, it doesn't like sink in because it's such a comedy. Like it's such a buddy comedy uh, and it ju- and it's the best kind of action comedy where comedy all right action comedies suck when (laughs) comedy is the is leading the action but when you're making an action comedy and like you put all of your effort into the action first and then put jokes in it almost always works and like the last boy scout is one of the best examples
1: of that yeah that's a that's a great point yeah it it i think because it's tony scott he kind of did this with Beverly Hills Cop 2 a little bit. Everyone complains Beverly Hills Cop 2 is, is you know, kind of dark and violent and not as funny as the first Beverly Hills Cop 2, but I think that's because Tony Scott's leading with more into the action and the style, and they want it to be kind of more action heavy than the first one um so i think tony scott's always kind of an action guy first which probably helps a movie like this like if it was if they got some guy who was known for comedy the movie could be completely you know flipped the other way who knows but
2: um it's a bad example because i like the other guys
1: but like if if adam mckay directed the last boy scout it wouldn't be half as good oh that's a yeah (laughs) i think it's actually good comparison and it'd be like a 20 minute slideshow at the end about something like you know, like the Bush administration or uh, something like. so Allback was a
2: pimp named Gator at one point. It's like <laughs> um, one what since we're talking about the comedy stuff, one of the things that I also find like really inadvertently funny, in this is um the cop that you mentioned who, uh, you know, gets killed by by Milo, where he says, you know, the problem is there's too many bullets in this gun." That guy's whole arc is hysterical to me because (laughs) he only exists like him and the police captain basically are having like a one act play by themselves. (laughs) Like all their scenes are together for the most part. Like they're separate most of the time from everybody else. Like sometimes, you know, like Damon Wayans is dragged in for questioning or they ask Bruce Willis, you know, like, Hey, you fuck up. Like you're a private eye. You can't be, you're not a cop. Like stop doing all this shit but like for the most part there's like two or three scenes where it's just the two of them together they're just and they're just talking about like exposition about like the wikipedia backstory of the early career of joe hallenbeck <laughs> uh the the so and then this, the, the one cop is just like the more he learns about it it's like the more he becomes like a fanboy of joe hallenbeck and like by the end of it it's just like I'm so relieved that he never lived long enough to think that Joe Hellenbeck, like, killed some like, like is a bad guy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that poor guy barely gets to do anything. Like, so he's just in the police station with the other, the chief or the captain, I guess, and then goes and gets yeah. shot. Like, he goes out, he leaves the police station and is killed. Like, he just like, he goes out and is murdered. Um, that is funny. They were kind of in their own little, like, movie, their own little side story. <laughs> Like, yeah,
2: it's just so funny. It's just like, wait a minute, Joe Hallenbeck, he saved the president. I'm going to shake his hand. It's yeah. like, Joe Hallenbeck didn't put up with that shit with the senator.
1: What a guy. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, this guy's great. I want to go shake his hand. Like, yeah. he really is the last Boy Scout.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, I, there needs to be like a reveal where it's like, that guy is like a scout master or something like that. He's just like, I see one of my own. It's like <laughs> in Under Siege where you know, uh like all the guys are like in the control room and they're like, it's not Ryback. He's one of the good guys. It's like we right. needed one of those with this guy where he's like he's a little, he was an Eagle Scout and I, I can tell. Right. <laughs> it's like, I, I just know these things. Trust me. <laughs> like
1: I could tell um, it's just
2: this motherfucker is just dropping merit badges. I can tell. <laughs>
1: They're just falling off him. He's got too many merit badges. He can't even keep
2: them on. <laughs> yeah, it's like, did you see him around a canoe? That ain't a mistake.
1: <laughs> he built a shelter in thirty seconds flat. You should have seen it. Yeah. Oh man. Um. God, there's so much about this movie. Um. What other, what other things did you want to bring up specifically? I think you mentioned you had a lot of points too. I'm um, just, i
2: just. So okay. So I. I, I mentioned, like, I saw this movie on video in 92. At the time, I was, like, n- 9 or 10 years old. Um, Terminator 2 was the movie that really opened the door on, like, R-rated action movies for me. Um, I was begging my parents. I was like, take me to see Terminator 2. And they're just like, no, you're it's, it's probably not ready yet. And then, like, I wore them down after about, like, three weeks. And I remember... Um, seeing it in theaters and just loving it and everything like that. And then for some reason after that, it was just like, Adam, you can watch anything you want. (laughs) (laughs)
1: The floodgates have been opened. Watch whatever.
2: The floodgates became open. So I I went on like a trip, like over to Blockbuster Video with my family. And my dad was like, it was almost always like, he'll rent whatever he wants. Um, You know, and then my siblings could rent like one movie and I could rent one movie. So like I picked up um, The Last Boy Scout. And I knew he had seen it, but, like, I hadn't seen it, and I wanted to see it. And I remember taking it off the shelf, and then my dad was just like, well, what would you get? And I, I showed him the last Boy Scout, and he patted me on the back.
1: Wow.
2: It was just like a father-son moment, and I was, I'll i always remember that. And then, so this movie makes me feel seen in a way, and also another thing that helps make me feel seen by this movie is um, I used to watch a lot of, a lot of the rentals from blockbuster on, um, the downstairs TV in the basement, there was like the good TV in the family room and then the old shitty one in the basement. So like I would watch most of my movies there and I'd have like sleepovers there. That's like where I would watch like all my horror VHSs and stuff like that. Um, the thing with the VCR was it was the old VCR from like the early eighties and (laughs) it was breaking down by 92 So Rewind would eat every tape. So when I'm watching Last Boy Scout and he goes, Fast forward needs the tape, fast forward needs the tape. I'm like, yes! (laughs) I was just like, fuck yeah, this movie's so awesome. Oh my God. Fast forward needs the tape, the brilliant writing. Rewind needs my tape. I can't even rewind this
0: shit.
1: (laughs) I can relate to this. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it was like I felt
2: so seen by this movie and then um i I remember so many times where it was like my sister would like rewind a tape I'm just like rewind the tape <laughs> and then like I pulled out like a you know like a gutted copy of rapid fire that I taped off of hBO and I'm like rewind each tape how many times I got to tell you Rewind needs the tape? And then my sister's doing like the Damon Wayne thing. She's like, how the fuck am I supposed to know that Rewind
0: <laughs> needs the <laughs> Oh, <that's-
1: laughs> I love that story. <laughs> oh, it's like when you're a little kid, little things like that, really they're like, Oh my God, that's a thing that happens in my, in my house. You know, it's like, I can relate to that. <laughs> well, it's because like, it- there's like these little
2: things that when you're a kid, like once you figure out like Rewind needs the tape, that becomes like a cause. It's like, right. I don't know much about anything, but I know rewind eats the tape, and I'm gonna protect these tapes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're the protector of the tapes at that point. You've got to warn people in your house, like don't rewind the tape. Rewind eats yeah, the tape. <laughs> it's, it's
2: just like uh, don't forget to take your shoes off before you walk out on the carpet. And rewind eats the tape. Yeah, <laughs> you'll see.
1: Rewind eats the tape. <laughs> just, just remember that rewind eats the tape. Don't, yeah, <laughs> don't mess with it. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Oh, that's pretty great. It's so it's weird to me to think that that this and Terminator 2 came out the same year. Like, and if they're both turning 30 this year, it's really, like, I'm trying to wrap my head around that. <laughs>
2: 91 was a hell of a year for action movies. I mean, you got Point Break that year.
1: Yeah. You got New Jack <laughs> City that year. I mean, it's pretty unparalleled. It's it's a great year. I was looking at... I don't know why I was looking at movie years recently, but, yeah, this one, 93, is a good year for, like, me specifically, I feel like, because I get Last Action Hero and Demolition Man and cliffhanger and this uh uh, hard target yes that yeah um there's more in there too i was like man it was the early 90s we were just something something good was happening for action movies like I, i mean i i'm equally happy
2: and equally sad about kind of like the difference between like the movies of the 90s and like the movies of today like i'm sad because it was so much better in the '90s, just for like grown-up movies, whether it's action or drama. It's like it seemed like movies were more made for adults than they were for teenagers. But now it's the complete opposite. And but I'm also thankful that like at least I got that because I, I I didn't get to really live through like I didn't get to live through like New Hollywood with the '70s or like the the first blockbusters with Jaws and Star Wars and stuff like that. But like. I, you know, movies started to become on my radar probably, like, when I was five in, like, 1987. And it's just like, okay, I was aware of Robocop when it came out. I was aware of Batman when it came out. And it's just like, I'm glad I have those memories. Um, and I feel bad for, like, kids nowadays who are just, like, wasn't, you know, fucking, like, in the heights good.
1: It's like... <laughs> <laughs> well, I, <laughs> movies feel like it's weird. I won't say less of an event, but then like a Marvel movie comes out and that feels like a big event. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I don't know. It, um, there were a lot of things I watched when I were little that, <laughs> and I feel like a lot of the spirits around our age. Like we watched a lot of things that just weren't meant for us being younger or children. Um, yeah. just cause they didn't make a lot of stuff directly aimed at us, but like, we kind of had to watch what we just what was around and what we had. Like, <laughs> so I, and they were weirdly, <laughs> um, like uh, what's the word? Like uh, d- they were taking a lot of adult properties and making them like specific toward children. Like there was a RoboCop yeah. cartoon, like and with toys. Uh, you know, there was a Toxic uh, Avenger cartoon. Like, um, there was all these like, R-rated properties that became like geared toward like, children.
2: <laughs> like Freddy Krueger, like you know by. 1988 or whatever like when the 4th movie came out it's like you could go to you know like the dollar store or like or the or like you know a grocery store and like buy Freddy cards or you could like go to Toys R Us and buy like a Freddy glove <laughs> with <a> knife <laughs> and fingers i mean it's just it's it's nuts but one of the things i liked about that era so much is that um it demanded of you when you were younger to sort of be aspirational where it's just like, I don't get this completely, but I want to figure this out. Like, I don't understand <laughs> everything that's going on in the firm. Cause I'm 11, but like, <laughs> I want to figure this out and it like stretches you. And now it's kind of like, I'm 39. I'm going to watch a movie called Shang-Chi, which is really made for me when I was 11.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, I was watching Shang-Chi and I really actually, I liked Chang Chi, but I was thinking, wow, this movie would have like killed with me in the mid 90s when I was like seven, eight, nine. Like this would have probably be like one of my favorite movies because it combines. It felt very 90s to me. I don't mean that I, I love 90s movies. That's a positive, but it this weird yeah. way of combining like martial arts with like you know kind of magical stuff. That was like a weird. I probably because of Power Rangers, but there was like a lot of like combining like mysticism and magic with like martial arts. I was I was thinking of like Double Dragon the movie.
0: It just...
2: Yeah, it felt, like, it felt like something like Rob Cohen would have made in 1996.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it really or it just, felt like we'll oh, go ahead. Yeah.
2: I was just going to say but like Rob Cohen is just like, man, if it's Asian, I'm going to appropriate
1: the shit out of that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably wouldn't have had as much of an Asian cast in the 90s version and um I was thinking of something like The Shadow or it felt like it would have fit in with like this weird yep. run of like 90s movies of like shadow and the phantom you know but even those were like
2: aimed more at adults than like Shang chi is because like those movies were like dick tracy the shadow the phantom and stuff like that they were like throwbacks to like adventure serials and it was more like them trying to replicate like tim burton's batman which the whole hook of that was like this isn't like kitty batman anymore this is batman for Uh grown-ups so it's just, yeah I don't know I mean I just I just like that like even with the comic book movies it was like it was like come on kid catch up like you know <laughs> almost there but like catch up
1: <laughs> yeah just a weird time that I it's like yeah. weird to think that these kids get like full-on like Marvel adaptations that are super faithful and I grew up with like 1930s 40s like radio plays that got turned into like movies with toy lines like I had shadow toys I had like Rocketeer I had a ton of Dick Tracy toys and it was like Yeah, it was just such a strange time that I really miss. Maybe it's probably nostalgia, but, like, um, I mean, it's just, yeah.
2: (laughs) I I think our, I mean, like, I think our generation, like, I think the filmmakers of our generation just kind of, like, on the whole sort of are bankrupt when it comes to, like, imagination. Like, the, (laughs) the guys coming up in, you know, the Baby Boomer directors, they're, like, they they had imagination. It was basically like, well, I can't wait to have the tools to really elevate these things that I loved when I was a kid, like these adventure serials or like these TV, sh- these kind of goofy TV shows and things like that. And then now it's like, I liked Ghostbusters when I was 10. So let me just redo Ghostbusters, but like not make it a comedy. It's like, <laughs> it, it, and the thing that's so confusing about it is like it's all these like kind of, you know, kid properties in quotes like the the movies that would have been aimed at like people our age in the 90s are now aimed at our, our, at us in like our 30s because what relationship does like a 12-year-old have had to ghostbusters anymore? Or, like, Star Like, I I kept hearing, like, like Star Wars toys, like, weren't selling that well, like, in comparison to maybe, like, Marvel. And it's, like, yeah, because, like, kids don't give a shit about Star Wars because there was, like, a gap for, you know, 10 years between Revenge of the Sith and, like, Force Awakens. It's, like, there's, like, a whole generation there that, like, doesn't care about Star Wars.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think we, they they give too much credit to people having, like, like having these memories or having this nostalgia like I think a great example it's not kind of it's not superhero or toy related but like I, I think they thought Doctor Sleep was going to be perfectly fine because they're like guys it's a sequel to Shining it's fine and it didn't do that well and it might have been part of the time and they put it like out the week after October but I think yeah. they think that people care so much about these things and I don't know if like that's there as much as they think it is <laughs> they're like you've seen this on TV right you know like your parents have shown this to you but like I don't think like younger people care as much as they think, even though like oh, your parents showed you Star Wars, right? Like they're onto their own their own things, you know?
2: Yeah, and I and I love Doctor Sleep, and like I'm glad that that movie exists because I think it's one of the best horror movies of like the last ten years, easy. But um, yeah, it's I mean like it it sounds like a no brainer when you're pitching it, where right. it's like we're yeah. gonna <laughs> make a sequel. It's another, you know, how many Stephen King adaptations have there been? Like, and most of them have been good. So, like, why not make another one? And it's like everybody, you know, over the years has grown up to, like, love The Shining and stuff. But the thing that's interesting about Dr. Sleep is that movie probably would have been, like, a miniseries in the 90s. It would have been, like, a two-night miniseries, like, on CBS or whatever, (laughs) NBC. And then, like, now it's, like hey, this is good, so we shouldn't release it in October. Let's release it in November because that's when you release, like, a good movie that might have, like, some Oscar play. But then they release it, like, so they release it too late because Halloween's over and people are kind of burnt out on horror immediately after Halloween. And then they're just like, let's release it, like, the weekend when there's, like, five movies also being released. (laughs) Like, we're just this crowded market. Because I remember seeing that opening night, in IMAX and it was like me and like four people and I was like,
1: what is going on? This is like treasure planet. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I mean I loved it too and I thought it was gonna I, I mean I thought it was like a shoe way to do well. I was like, oh, it's gonna it's gonna be great. It looks good. The shining, everyone loves the shining. And I was so surprised when it bombed that I just and there was a lot of articles about like, oh, did they bank too much on the 40-year-old nostalgia of the shining? Like maybe I don't know, you know, I think the timing was probably the thing that killed the most because I know people that love horror movies and they get burned out by the end of October. So like normal people are probably definitely done, you know, like right after October.
2: Yeah, exactly. I I don't know if it was, I mean, I guess it was kind of true, like maybe in November 2019, it feels like a million years ago, but like, um, but one thing that I find interesting is like nowadays, like posts, you know like you know movie theaters being back in or movies being back in theaters like since you know march really um the thing that's the pattern is basically like audiences will go see like one movie a month they'll pick one movie like so march it's like we'll go see godzilla versus kong or april we'll go see mortal kombat or like you know we'll go see a quiet place Two, um or and or we'll see Shang-Chi, or we'll see Black Widow, or we'll see F9, or we'll see Free Guy, but then, like, everything else dies.
1: Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's kind of what it feels like sometimes. Like, um, yeah. yeah, I think normal people just don't see as many movies as, like, you know, people that are, like, so, you know, passionate about movies, and I feel like maybe they underrate how many movies people want to see. You know, I don't know. It's it's weird. And plus, COVID, now people don't want to go to theaters much anyway, so it's, like, kind of a double whammy. <laughs> but um. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I uh, it's a very different time for 1991 right now. Say so, like that's why it's so weird that this is like 30 years ago because it feels it to me. Because I guess because I was alive then too. It doesn't feel as long ago, but it also feels like so so long ago at the same time. It's a strange like you know <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, yeah.
2: It's um yeah. Th- those were those were some good times, but like yeah, it's weird. It it doesn't feel like 30 years ago, but I think it's just because. least for me I mean like these were like real formative like movie years it was when I first really kind of got into like entertainment that wasn't just aimed at you know my age bracket so like it feels relevant because that's the movie that I want now more than anything is you know movies for grown-ups like star vehicles for grown-ups.
1: Yeah, I'm getting nostalgic for those, too. It's like, and I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but I felt like a couple times this year, I've heard you, I think, on F this Movie or some Twitter, kind of, it seemed like you were getting a little burned out on, like, modern movies. And you were kind of, like, longing for even things that were maybe, like, 20, 20 years ago. It just feels like it's a different time. Is that is that fair to say?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, um, it was, so Space Jam, A New Legacy, like, unlike any other movie, like, fucked with me where, like, I watched it at home. Thank God I didn't see it in the theater, because I don't think I would have ever gone back to a theater this year if I saw that in the theater. <laughs> I it on HBO Max, and I just, I, and I, I'm not even kidding. I just thought to myself, I'm like, it's all over. Like, this thing that I love, it's over. Like, this is what this, what movies are now. And everything that I will ever love has already come out. <laughs> i need to go backwards and not forwards and then after that i i made an exception here and there like i saw like old because i'm just like well i trust m night Shyamalan to be interesting his movies aren't always good but like i trust i'm interested in what's going to go on there but like (laughs) i went through a run where it's like snake eyes jungle cruise um like free guy um you know don't breathe to the protege stuff like that where i was just like i just can't like even i i i I think i tried to see don't breathe two like three times before i even i eventually saw it oh (laughs) wow like it it got to the point where it was like i drove to the theater and i parked and then before i opened the door to get out of my car i'm like i want wendy's and then i got (laughs) went and got wendy's and then i went home
1: you probably made the right choice i mean <laughs> well i did I too yeah.
2: i did because like when f this movie did an end of summer show i was i hit like a run where i was like i got like excited because there was a deadline and i was just like oh i'm gonna cram in like five of these and i did watch don't breathe too and it's actually not that bad but um but yeah i i, I definitely got burnt out on current releases
1: for a while <laughs> it's understandable and then yeah i i think I know we talked about doing this, but I was like, Oh, Adam's going to, I think be refreshed to do last boy scout. Like, you know, it's like, it's like water in the desert, you know, of how rough, like a lot of the summer has been for new movies. <laughs> like,
2: the, the biggest problem I could give last boy scout is um, one of the things that's happened since I've been watching so many movies at home since COVID is I have a lot of trouble watching things in one sitting. Like I'm very aware of like the three X structure now, because sometimes I'll just be like, Oh, this movie's two hours, 10 minutes. I'll watch 43 minutes of it. <laughs> then, and then I'll come back. So I'm very aware of, like, the act structures. And, like, when it doesn't apply to a movie, I get very upset. <laughs> where I'm just, like, I'm like, how's this movie have five acts? This is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. so, um, but uh, with Last Boy Scout, I pressed play, and I just watched it straight through. And I didn't have, like, even, a, I, I didn't have any moments where I'm just, like, I feel like pausing it or, like, doing something else for a little
1: while yeah no it's it's really good like it moves super super well like i i think when it was about to they were like the forest standoff i was like oh we're already here like i couldn't believe i was already at that point of the movie i knew the rest of it was just gonna kind of roll into this like finale with all this action and uh yeah it, it it definitely moves really well that's again probably credit to the editing for you know kind of coming in and like saving the movie too um I was gonna say something about I, I think my big problem with the movie and you kind of mentioned earlier is like it's like yeah I mean the the misogyny like comes through like pretty strong like because the thing it hits me I don't know why it feels meaner there's a lot of mean deaths in this movie but Halle yep. Berry getting killed like feels so brutal to me for some reason um, <laughs>
2: I, yeah it's I mean like I get it because it's like it's the inciting incident and it needs right. to happen but. Um...
1: Yeah, no, she, she gets shot a lot. <laughs> it's the way, yeah, it's the way she gets shot. It's like, poor Hallie with her arms out, just, like, squibs going off, like, getting shot so many times, you know? It's, like, not even one quick shot. It's just getting blasted with all these... And right in front of Damon Wayne, seeing it all happening, and, like, poor Halle Berry didn't do anything, you know? It's just like, oh, God. Um, and then, I mean, <laughs> but jumping ahead into end the ending, I, I love the the bad guy death of taylor negron because it's such overkill <laughs> it's a real good one yeah it's I, a good one I, like um it's <laughs> he gets shot kind of like how like so many times like i guess the swat team or somebody just blasts him and then you think well that's it. and he falls off of a like the scoreboard in the stadium like real he's already really high up he's gonna die he's already probably dead and then he hits the blades of a helicopter <laughs> And like just blood everywhere. I'm just like, wow, they really, really murdered him, is what I thought. <laughs> like,
0: oh
2: yeah. No, I um I think that's a I mean it's a great it's like an all-timer <laughs> bad guy death. Um the Halle Berry one, I have a theory. I think it's worse because she's wearing like a frilly dra- a frilly jacket. Like I feel like if she was wearing a jacket that didn't have a bunch of like little frills coming out of the bottom, it wouldn't be as sad yeah it's
1: like she's wearing this like macho man randy savage jacket
2: and then, like, <laughs> Visual of it. so they have like the shot of her like laying dead in the street and her eyes are like wide open and everything and it's just it's like maybe one frame too much
1: right it's like yeah the, the, the tassels make a lot of shaking they make the the motion that's more the, violent that's the word i was looking for
2: tassels yeah yeah i it's, do it's fun i i think it's so funny that like so her reputation is basically she's she's a, this woman who looks for, like, sugar daddies, basically. So she's not, like, a call girl or anything, but maybe, like, you know, she, she does favors for rich men, so they pamper her. And um, for some reason, now she's a waitress slash stripper at a dive bar. It's like, I didn't know these existed, that yeah. there's stri- dive bars.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like a dive bar just... Put a couple poles in and we're like, now we're kind of a strip club. <laughs> like, it's so strange. Uh, yeah. They play good music though. I will say that. They do. They play good music. It's and I love it's there's a lot of like interesting little locations in the movie. And that's one of them is that bar slash strip club, the way it's lit. There's so much neon, like very Tony Scott, the way it's lit. And then um even like a head, like um Marcone, I believe, the fake Jerry Jones his office at the end, is like it's insane, like art deco like office that's got like white marble everywhere and like fireplaces. And I'm like, this is a real, like, you know, bad guy kind of layer. Like what kind of office is this in your stadium? You know? <laughs> I don't know. It just, it for some reason stuck out to me. I kind of love the look of it, but I'm just like, it's so, it's such a heightened, like over the top thing. Um, And I don't know, this also, this line made me laugh. It's in that scene at the end when, uh, when they're in his office and uh, Damon Wayans throws one of the shredders into the fireplace said it's he said, it's a key. And he's like, <laughs> turns to Bruce Willis and says, you know the thing about those new plastic keys? They really shred. And then it's that, a cue to, like, really obvious about it. Like, yeah. I don't know why it really just it tickled me today. I, I laughed at it. But um, just that kind of stuff. Like, really, like, they really shred and jump. You know, it's like, oh, I don't know. It's, I, I'm just all over the place. But it's such a, it's a fun movie that has these, like, weird, dark moments. Very violent moments. Kind of at it, and, like, punctuate, like, these violent moments. And, um, um. Oh, the Jimmy Dix thing. I'm sorry. Again, I'm all over the place, but uh, Dana Wayne, it makes me really sad. I Before we get to the Jimmy Dix thing, I just
2: want to mention one thing real quick about the Shredder scene. Uh-huh. I also love that there's a beat after that scene ends where they get away because of the Shredders, where it's like they review the scene where Jimmy Dix is just like, did you like that Shredder thing, Joe Hallenbeck? And then he's just like, you did good,
1: Junior. You did good. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> like, I love how he keeps calling him like junior or like young guy. I'm like, how much younger is he? How much older than him are you? <laughs> you know.
2: Like, I looked it up when we were watching it. Um, Damon Waynes was 31 when the movie was released, and Bruce Willis was 36.
1: Oh wow, it's <laughs> so really not much, not much older at all. Um, That's
2: another 90s thing where it's like Bruce Willis, for better or worse. Like you see him, he's 36. It's just like he's a he looks like a man. He looks like an adult man. Right. But right. now it's like. A 36-year-old looks like a little kid. You know what
1: I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I'm getting there, and people always tell me I look young all the time, which I take as a compliment. But, like, I I did an episode of Cobwebs with Daniel on Dirty Dozen, and we were just remarking, like, how much older the guys looked. Like, uh, Lee Marvin, uh, I think, was, like, 42 or something. He looks, like, 65. (laughs) men just used to age harder and it keeps it's kind of like going it's getting like incrementally incre- like smaller like now like a 36 year old looks so much younger looked a little younger at 90 they looked probably much older in like 65 <laughs> i
2: like, um, from looking like i was 30 to looking like i was 55 and it's really <laughs> disappointing because like so i i started balding in my early 30s but like i'm 39 now and like i look straight up like if I like, I could get out of bed without trying and looking like Christopher Lloyd
1: in The Addams Family. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it'll hit me fast. I'm just hope I'm holding on to it as long as I can. Like, I've got yep. my hair. Like, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just like, just gotta embrace it, whatever it is. Whatever, yeah, whatever it is, just embrace it. Like, so. <laughs> yeah, I put light bulbs in my mouth and they light up. I mean, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going with it. <laughs> Going for, like, a full, the full theme there. <laughs> oh, man, that's, it's pretty funny. Um, I have, oh, I have two casting things I have to talk about, because I thought they were very interesting. I'm curious to take on these. That, did you read that Jack Nicholson was the first choice for the role of Joe Hallenbeck? Like, to make it in 91? I, I believe so, yeah, because the script wasn't written until, like, Eighty-eight, eighty-nine. 89 so How, how's, i don't know no, no not, <laughs> yeah i don't think that works at all and it's um, nice, like him
2: in like it was between like the two jakes and like few good men no <laughs> yeah
1: I, I know it doesn't make sense to me either i just thought it was really and i feel like these casting things are always like where did this information come from but i always find it interesting you know the IMDb trivia but but uh that's what they said he was the first choice i who knows but uh um uh. that doesn't make sense to me either uh, and this one, I would—I don't know if I want to see this or never want to see this, but um, I'm assuming Bruce Willis was still going to play his part, but they said Mel Gibson was considered for the role of Jimmy Dix. And I feel like that energy no. doesn't work between Gibson and Willis. No, because I mean, like, you
2: could buy that Damon Waynes is like a young quarter, like a young disgraced quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Like, he's 31, but he looks like he could play, like, 20, 24, 25, like, a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, Gibson just, like, he's another one. He just looks like even when he was, you know, probably, like, 40 years old, like, he just looked like a man. or like Or, like, even when he was, like, it, it just wouldn't make sense. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Yeah, and I just thought, like, if you had Bruce Willis still and you brought Mel Gibson, I feel like that energy between the two of them is, like, like, two magnets with, like, negative ends pushing against each other just wouldn't work. Like, I feel like those yeah. two energies just don't work together. I, I can't... They, have, they haven't they have done, like, a movie that co-starred it, have they? I can't think of one.
2: Not that I can think of, no. It's just
1: um, so weird. It's too much grumpy energy. <laughs>
2: like, well, I don't know. I mean, like, Gibson at that time was full, like, in his full, you know, like... Heartthrob, like charismatic thing. So I mean like he would have done this is like it's before Lethal Weapon 2, around Air America, like that time frame. So I mean like I think he would have to be almost like his like a like a jokester. So that sort of leaves Willis to be the straight man. And <laughs> uh-huh. Like he would like Willis would almost have to be like Danny Glover.
1: <laughs> yeah, it'd be weird. I don't know. You are right. It, he was different. I, it's hard to think about Mel Gibson then versus now. But yeah, it, I wonder how it would have played it. I mean, it's just it just seems weird to be that choice. But um, that was only two that I saw. I don't know if they had any other choices. But um, but yeah, it's, it would have been interesting. Um, what, what other stuff did you want to bring up? Do you have any other notes you want to bring up?
2: No, no, I'm I'm good with the notes. Um, I do have a funny Danny Glover story I could tell you. Oh, okay, that. yeah. <laughs> so he was at a panel and um he was doing like Q and A yeah. and in the middle of the panel, like the moderator asks a question and I thought this was great because like this moderator is like a critic that's like local to my area and he's like the biggest tool. So I really <laughs> I, I'm happy that this happened to him. Um, so he asked the question and then danny glover's like hold on a second and then like he like put an earbud in his ear and then he's like just talking and like taking a phone call in front of like a panel audience of like like 200 people and then like the (laughs) panelist is just like is this really happening (laughs) And he's like and then like danny glover gets off the phone and he's just like that was my brother it was about work (laughs) um Somebody asked, yeah, they're just like, Mr. Glover, Um, what do, you, what do you think about, like, the diminishing returns of, like, the Lethal Weapon franchise? Which is kind of a shitty question, but, yeah, like, I, mean, yeah. I don't know, you know, it went downhill, but, like, it's like, what do you think of the diminishing returns? He's just like, well, let me tell you something. Uh, lethal Weapon grossed, and he, like, would say what the domestic gross is. He's like, Lethal Weapon 2 grossed this. Lethal Weapon 3 grossed this. Lethal Weapon 4 grossed this. And then I looked it up like on my phone while I, like after he I got the bit and he knew the exact domestic gross <laughs> lethal weapon movie. And then the last one grossed the most, and he just said, and it's like something, it's like one of my favorite catchphrases, and I wish I had it on a shirt. It just is him going, what's diminishing? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, that's probably what I was on his phone with the, with his brother about. He's like, give me the domestic grosses for the, the weapons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's diminishing? I mean, if he's right, he's right. <laughs> yeah. He was just um, like completely
2: oblivious that the question was about the quality of right? the movies. It's just like, he's like, I only see things in dollars and cents, my man. <laughs>
1: yep. He's like, it made money, buddy. Don't, don't question it.
2: I love Danny Glover because so often in movies, especially in action movies, he looks like he's preoccupied, like he's trying to remember where he put his keys. <laughs> but he's got to act. He's right. got to act and play the character, but he's like, really can't remember if he turned the lights off in his car. Right.
1: Like, he's really concerned. But he, yeah. he's like, I got to act. I got to worry about the keys or the garage door after I get done with the scene. <laughs> but it's really bothering him. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, oh, God, now every time I watch Jenny Glover, I'm going to think of him just being concerned about something at his house, like, oh, did I leave the stove
2: on? I love it, like, it's so easy to remember, or or so easy to forget that he was, like, in the original Saw, and I kind of want to, like, re-watch that movie just to be like, oh, yeah, he's fucking nuts in this movie, like, and it's not like his character's crazy, it's just, like, these choices are so weird, and the the fact that He's playing that part is so weird. It's just, I don't know.
1: (laughs) It was like, they wanted maybe a name actor, and that's who they got? Because he doesn't really... Yeah, but like, why would he want to do Saw? That's the thing that doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) I don't... Yeah, maybe someone pitched it to him with something different, and then he got there and was like, what am I doing?
2: (laughs) He's (laughs) like, I really want to work with Ken Leung and play his partner. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What?
1: doesn't make sense. I, yeah. yeah, I'm gonna have to Google that now. Why he's in that movie? <laughs> like, because it is weird. I don't, I don't know. Um, uh, <laughs> well, I was going to mention like a, a few other things about the movie, kind of like, and also kind of Tony Scott related stuff. Uh, I was to get in here. Um, I'm sure you probably do this. Uh, I feel this is always everyone knows this, but it's like this was the most expensive script sold up to this point, like 1.75 million. Yeah, uh, it was Gene
2: Black and like Joe Esterhaus, like trying to beat each other
1: they, like. <laughs> They were like, like a pissing contest of scripts because yeah. Joe Esterhaus had sold something before this, maybe Total Reek. I don't remember what he sold. And he had the record for highest selling script. And then Shane Black got the record for 1.75 million for this script. And then Esterhaus was pissed and he was like, I'm gonna he said I'm gonna write a script that's gonna get more money than that. Like that, that was like his goal of writing the movie. And he did it because he wrote Basic Instinct and sold it for three million, just like mm-hmm. three months later. He's <laughs> like, he beat the record that quickly. And yeah. his whole goal was just to, like, beat the record. It was just funny to me. Um, and Shane Black and Tony Scott both said later on that how the original script was much better than the final film. I'd be curious to read that, because one thing I remember that kept me out of the, the original was, like, Taylor Negron had this whole subplot with his character where um, Milo was, like, doing his own thing on the side, where he was, like, kidnapping women and making snuff films. Like, and one of the women was going to be, uh bruce willis's wife and that was gonna be like the side story
2: (laughs) yeah i'm glad they took that out because if this movie they they would have put it like way over the top with
1: um the misogyny angle yeah yeah and bruce willis was like (laughs) apparently his comeback to that was like it's like i keep saving my wife in these movies we do something different like i'm tired of saving my wife (laughs) like he was he was already tired of that um Oh, oh, I love this so much. Tony Scott hated Joel Silver so much that he based the character of Lee Donowitz and *True Romance* on him, because he's like amazing, this yeah. amazing you know, over the top producer who's like a heavy cocaine user. And uh, and he told him, he's like, look and act like Joel Silver, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he really did not have fun. It's like, there's no commentary of this movie. Tony Scott is like talk about it. Like apparently he had a really bad time because everybody was just. Come out to Tony Scott and like telling him how to do his job and changing things daily. Like Bruce Willis and Joel Silver would go off and like just rewrite pages of the script and then come back and tell Tony Scott, like, what's well, what we're doing today? And he's like, we're changing stuff again. And you know, it's like, we don't do this, you'll get fired. So, um, yeah, yeah. Just, everybody was miserable basically.
2: <laughs> yeah, Joel Silver, I mean, like, it's weird, it's kind of like part and parcel with this movie where it's like. I'm not. All, I'm not at all about what he's about, but like, yeah. he he's the producer of some pretty fucking great
1: movies. <laughs> I know it's crazy. Uh, yeah, Die Hard, The Matrix. There's so many. Yeah.
2: yeah, I heard some stories about him because, like, I went to a. It was a. Was it Juice or Demon Night or no 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 yeah it was Demon Night. I so at this theater, this rep theater, in Chicago, they had. Um, A festival called sin apocalypse which was like a genre film festival and they did a lot of like new independent movies at the time but they also did a lot of like retrospective screenings and they had back-to-back demon night and judgment night with ernest dickerson and stephen hopkins there and it was like it was like the best i i was joking with patrick about this movie i'm like it's a night to remember and it was just amazing. But like Ernest Dickerson was telling all these stories about um, Tales from the Crypt and Demon Night because Joel Silver was a producer, at least on, I think on the movie too, but on, um, he definitely was on the television. Oh, yeah. And he was saying like basically what a weirdo he was. And he's like, and Ernest Dickerson was just like, hey, I, uh, I'm thinking <laughs> about casting Jada Pinkett in the role in Demon Night. And then Joel Silver just goes, okay, does she have big tits?
1: Oh, my God.
2: <laughs> and, like, Ernest Sickerson was like, she's a really good actress. <laughs> and apparently also, like, he was, uh the reason why Bordello of Blood, for instance, like, turned out the way that it did was um Joel Silver's, like, mission in the mid-90s was to turn, like, multiple supermodels into movie stars. So it was, like, Cindy Crawford, Fair Game, Angie oh, yeah. Everhart a little blood and it's just like he's he was like i'm actually shocked like more like me too stuff hasn't like, come out
1: about joel silver yeah that's <laughs> that's kind of amazing yeah because knowing what we know about him and who knows what we don't know about him it's like because everybody makes him sound like kind of a monster honestly like i don't have any other way to put it like nicely but um just like and doing lots of cocaine and just being like a dictator uh on these sets like and what you just said with yeah i don't even i can't imagine the stories that have not come out yet i'd i'd be shocked if there weren't any stories like yeah
2: and i i mean i apologize if it's just like you know he's just kind of a a a gross guy who hasn't done anything wrong like i i'm not accusing him of allegedly yeah we should say allegedly (laughs) allegedly yeah very much allegedly don't don't get mad at us please um no the uh I, i it's just yeah when you hear some of the behavior stuff, it's just, it screams of like Hollywood casting couch of yesteryear type of stuff.
1: Right, right. Like, it, and it's funny because I talked about, um, <laughs> wait, what? I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. What? I said allegedly. Allegedly, yes. <laughs> Always end with allegedly ever. <laughs> um, Bruce, this
2: is a vampire, allegedly.
1: <laughs> yeah. Bruce... I don't want that to float out there without people. Allegedly, Bruce Willis is going to get really upset with us. Like, fuck, they know my secret.
2: Bruce Willis is a (laughs) mortal (laughs) allegedly. This will be like for some reason, this will get picked up and it's just like sources
1: tell me. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Sources say that that Joel Silver was a monster behind the scenes and Bruce Willis is a vampire. Yeah. That's
0: like
1: not yeah. how I want to get noticed. Like, yeah. I'll be like, we said allegedly, we said allegedly, um, because uh, it's funny because Tony Scott also worked with Don Simpson, and I think of like Don Simpson and like Joel Silver as like the, uh, prototype, like iconic '80s early '90s movie producers who were like doing cocaine, uh, buying, you know, like being crazy on the set. Like, uh, I know Don Simpson allegedly was buying like a lot of like hookers like it was just like everything you'd hear like hookers cocaine money fast cars like it's just the, yeah. the typical like fast living movie producer. so um yeah it's uh it's interesting i don't know i'm excited to talk about true romance talk about that lee donowitz character again <laughs> like because i was younger i had no idea it would be joel silver but then it's like clear as day once you know that's what it's based off of. <laughs> like well uh, um and last thing I have to mention, is I think you've even told this story, this bit of trivia on maybe at this movie at some point. I love okay. this story. I'm going to read this verbatim from the IDB trivia. I don't know if it's true, but I hope it's kind of true. <laughs> um, they said Bruce Willis used to show up to the set in a disguise and ask the crew members if they liked Bruce Willis or thought he was cool. Crew members knew it was him the whole time and found it either funny, charming or sad.
2: <laughs> that's yeah, that's one of my favorite. <laughs> behind the scenes stories um it's almost as good as my my number one all so there's two other ones but i'll get to that in a second but i want to talk about the bruce willis thing the um i if uh, if you if you um subscribe like so drew mcweeney um who was a critic who used to write for like screen fix i believe and like definitely ain't it cool news he's oh, yeah. got um like his own newsletter and like i subscribe to it and he wrote this essay about hudson hawk and it was basically like when an artist tells you who he is in loud screaming like a loud screaming voice like in a movie like hudson hawk pay attention and he's basically saying like everything that you need to know about bruce willis is is what's going on in hudson hawk which is basically like he thinks he's so cool and that everybody else is dumb and, like, that's basically, like, the thesis statement, allegedly, about Bruce Willis. It's just, like, at, he's just, in his mind, he's just the man. He's just so great. And that, like, everything else, not everyone else, but, like, every other thing, like, grass is so stupid. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. I, Hunt and Hawk is a fascinating movie. Like, I watched it earlier this year. Because, at this movie talked about it, Um, I think Rob and Patrick did an episode on that. Um, yeah and i don't know if i liked it <laughs> i don't know if i could say i liked it but i was like so fascinated by the whole thing like i couldn't believe what i was watching or that it existed you know it's one of those movies where are like who how did they, i guess bruce Wallace at the height of his star power got it made but like otherwise you're like it's a crazy movie <laughs> you know it's like oh can i tell you my two other favorite imdb stories <laughs> oh yeah yeah please
2: Uh, The number two one is from the movie The Lords of Flatbush, which is like a pre-Rocky Stallone movie. It's basically like he's part of this group, this like small town gang named the Lords. And like, it's just about them being kind of like high school delinquents. It's uh, from the 50s and stuff like that in in Brooklyn. And um, it was supposed to be in the cast. It was supposed to be uh, Richard Gere and Stallone were two of the four guys. And Richard Gere and Stallone hated each other and he and Stallone ended up getting Richard Gere fired from the movie because they hated each other so much. But the best thing about it was, I guess they came to blows most because there was a scene where they were sitting in the back of a car together and Richard Gere just like out of his jacket or out of a bag or something like took out an entire roasted chicken and was just (laughs) eating it. And it was, like, real, like, juicy, and, like, there was, like, mustard or something that was, like, part of part of it, and Stallone, said, and it was, like, scalding hot, apparently, and Stallone said, if any of that fucking chicken gets on me, I'm gonna beat the shit out of you, <laughs> and apparently, like, gear was just, like, it's not gonna get on you don't worry and then took like a giant bite out of like the breast of the chicken and like mustard gas just like or mustard just like fucking shot all over the place and got on Stallone and Stallone just started beating the shit out of him and apparently like it started this long rivalry for like decades where um like there was a time when like Princess Diana invited both Stallone and Richard Gere over to her house, like to see her, and like Richard Gere was trying to sleep with her, and then like once Stallone found out that Richard Gere was trying to sleep with her, he like decided that he was gonna try to get there first. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like like so their rivalry, and then there's a rumor that he that Stallone came up with like the gerbil story allegedly oh. about Richard. That circulated for a long time. So that's one of my favorites. Like my favorite IMDb story of all time is on the set of The Abyss. Um, Ed Harris was on like for some reason on like an all cabbage diet. <laughs> oh, okay. and apparently, apparently, um, the cast like really hated it because he was like burping and farting and like it was like cabbage farts like all the time. <laughs> so. <laughs> so Um, It was really expensive whenever they were shooting this movie because like they would have to put the, the, the suit on him to go underwater and everything and then like submerge him and like they'd be down there for a while. So apparently like Ed Harris had eaten a lot of cabbage and like James Cameron was basically like. I swear to God, if anything happens with, like, a malfunction with this cabbage shit, I'm going to be so mad at you. And then Ed Harris was just like, fuck you. I'm going to do what I want to do. So then, like, apparently he ate a bunch of cabbage. And then, like, Ed Harris goes underwater, and he's got the helmet on. And he, like, burped or he farted or something. And it was so bad that he, like, threw up inside of his helmet. (laughs) And they had to, like, delay shooting to pull him up from, like, 10, like, 100 feet below, like, surface level of the water to wash out his suit and, like, get him cleaned up. (laughs) (laughs) And James Cameron was so pissed at him. It was great.
1: (laughs) Imagine, and Harris being lifted up like a five-year-old just threw up on himself. And they're just like, all right, let's clean you up, man. You wouldn't have made a mess.
2: So these stories are on the IMDb pages for these movies. I'm paraphrasing a lot of it. I, I'm sure I'm getting details wrong, but allegedly these things happen. And, and not allegedly, I love them.
1: Right. <laughs> oh man. Oh yeah. That's uh, like I don't know how much I trivia is true, but like I hope all those stories are true. <laughs>
2: like... To be true so bad
1: they're yeah. so weird
2: and specific that they i feel like they
1: have to be true yeah yeah it just something that throws me off if like they're like worded weirdly or they're there's like a lot of misspellings or something i'm like did somebody just come on here and just like want to make up a funny piece of trivia but um i don't know i can believe all those things happened honestly <laughs> like uh I, yeah i just i wish there was like footage of bruce willis going around the set in a disguise like hey bruce willis pretty cool guy <laughs> Yeah, I people being like, he's kind of an asshole. And he's like, oh, wait, really? <laughs> like,
2: and think about 30 years added on to that. If he was like that in 91,
1: it's like... <laughs> oh, I know. It's like, I think about that. Like, if he was already, like, kind of acting like this p- shitty in 91, it's like, where is he? I feel like he almost at the point now where he just doesn't care. I, I say almost. I I feel like he's at that point. <laughs>
2: like... One thing that I'll, I'll give him credit for, for kind of getting away from th- a little bit, is... He did so many movies, like, especially in the 90s, where, like, the thing was, like, he's a burnout. Like, he starts as, like, a burnout. And it's, like, Last Boy Scout, he did that. He did that in Die Hard with a Vengeance. He definitely did that in, like, Mercury Rising. It's, like, The Sixth Sense, too. It's just, like, I don't get it. Like, why, like, was that, like the writers were writing specifically for him and they they just were like, oh, this is, well, this is the Bruce Willis trope. Like, we have to put this in there. Or was like, Bruce Willis is like, well, what if I was just like almost a bum?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's a good point. Because I was watching him in this and thinking like, I think he's really good at this kind of thing. Like, I think he's good in this. I think he's good at playing this kind of character. And I was thinking like, it's funny because he's always kind of associated with like Schwarzenegger and Stallone, but he feels so different to me than the two of them because he really does feel more like a normal human being <laughs> like um and sure. his his yeah. whole thing since diehard has been like i'm the action hero that like gets beat up and like you know <laughs> like takes takes a lot of damage he's not super muscular like um so i yeah i don't know he's good at playing like a, a bu- <laughs> like a washed up kind of bum like uh and he has this air of like he's not the strongest guy around but he can like really take a punch and a beating you know <laughs> he'll come back
2: it's like it's like you could hit him like 30 times but it's like not gonna hurt him as much as he hurts inside so it's yeah. like it does matter.
1: <laughs> yeah that's i kind of i love that like about this movie too that like both these guys are like uh, damon wayne's bruce Wolves are like just really like flawed like messy characters who like you know have all these issues they're dealing with like Dane wayans is a drug addict and you know lost his wife and his kid and He's did i that's i think that's, i don't finish that earlier that story really is a sad story in the middle of this like yeah fun, crazy movie and i think it like really hits but yeah it's like you said it's like but the next scene you'll get back like some funny stuff so it's okay to slip that in there but um and then bruce willis is like a total fuck up and um has a horrible relationship with like his wife and his daughter and you know it's like these really flawed characters that are like, interesting, and, like, not maybe the most likable people, but, it's, but I mean, that's a problem, too, that happens now, is, like, everyone thinks every character has to be really likable and relatable, and that's not always the case, you know, it's, like, they can be interesting and be flawed, and, you know, I, I don't know, I was thinking about that when I was watching the movie today.
2: Yeah, can you imagine, like, if this came out today, it would be, like, The Fucking Rock as Joe Hallenbeck and, like, Ryan Reynolds as,
1: like, Jimmy <laughs> oh god that's probably exactly who would play these characters <laughs> like like the problem with the rock is like i can never buy him as a normal human being like it I, I still like the rock a lot like i know a lot of people are getting kind of tired of him i feel like or they don't like him or you know but but like i still like him but yeah i know he like he doesn't he does a certain thing ryan Reynolds definitely does a certain thing like they have like their images are so um uh manufactured protected i guess like you know like i always say that i hate that the rock like works with these like directors who i feel like usually aren't like the best directors like he doesn't really push himself like he's always working with like what's that guy rossin marshall thurber i can never remember he's kind of
2: like um dodgeball and then all of a sudden he's like directing like
0: yeah
1: ice cream (laughs) yeah it's like uh, why it's like i almost feel like it's like guys that he picks that he knows won't like push him or you know he can tell them what to do kind of you know yeah
2: Um, Yeah. a lot of guys who did that with like directors like stallone was like really well known for just like bullying directors like especially like in the late 80s early 90s because he wanted somebody who wasn't like gonna stand up to him right because he wanted to be basically the author of that movie and he just wanted a like a guy to kind of you know shoot the schedule for that day and
1: that was it yeah, and I like Stallone basically took over Tango and Cash as the story, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, he <laughs> like, took over directing, yeah. um, And it's funny because you hear about these guys doing this, like Bruce Willis and Stallone, but and maybe it's again, like, blinders on, like, but it feels like they were playing, like, usually different, interesting characters. They may try to be really cool still, but, like, I feel like The Rock and Ryan Reynolds are two guys you brought up that are kind of like always playing the same kind of guys a lot, you know? And, yeah push themselves like rock used to push himself he did weird stuff like southland tales and um even a movie i don't like but um uh be cool like you know it's he would do weirder like different parts but now it's like he's in like i'm in rock you know professional mode (laughs) like um i mean
2: like there's certain movies that they're in that i think they're good in it's like not completely you know like i hate every performance they have but the the two of them like for me they're just so edgeless now like even when like ryan reynolds is playing deadpool he might as well be playing like iron man like it there's no <laughs> edge to it to that anymore because like you know what the you know what the gimmick is and like there's no surprise to any of it and then i just feel like with the rock it's like if like a press junket like became a person that's what the rock <laughs>
1: Yeah. By all accounts, a very nice man in real life. I mean, I just think he has a very, like, protected public image, which he really cares about, which is not a bad thing. It just kind of, like, makes him a little more uninteresting, you know? It's like. I would like him so much more
2: if he did, like, 50% fewer movies. Because I just feel like every time I look up, he's in a new movie. And it's always the same shit. It's always the same type of movie, the same type of character. And. I just want him to make more walking talls and less jungle. Yeah. cruises.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would like that too. I just want him to do some, some different, more interesting stuff. You know, it's like, um, but who knows? I feel like he's kind of set in his, his path at this point. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's different. It's, it's just another thing of how different now is versus late eighties, early nineties, you know, <laughs> like this whole, this whole difference in how things are, um, but I, yeah, I, I can't think of anything else on Last Boy Scout. Unless you have any anything else you wanted to say?
2: Just one last question. So like, okay, I because we we had fun with the Mortal Kombat Johnny Cage cast thing. Uh-huh. If you were to do a reboot of Last Boy Scout, who would you cast as Joe Hallenbeck and uh,
1: Jimmy Dix? I almost made a joke about saying The Rock and Ryan Reynolds,
2: but I was like, no, no, no. Uh, I'll, this, I'll be serious. Uh, one while we were talking for Hallenbeck, that I think I, I think is kind of
1: good. Okay, this is gonna be tough. I have to think. Cause, okay, <sighs> all right. Um, <laughs> the Jimmy Dix one, but I think I think DiCaprio,
2: like aged DiCaprio, could be good as Hallenberg.
1: Okay. Yeah.
2: He can do the comedy, and also like he's can do enough of the he can do enough of the Bruce Willis type of action. I think.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Yeah, I see. I can see that. <laughs>
2: And then Jimmy Dix, I will go with. I want to do like some kind of stunt casting because Damon Wayans was sort of like this was like his shot at like breaking out of like the comedy mold. Mm-hmm. So it's like of like a comedian. So I would say. Uh,
1: Kevin Hart, <laughs> I was thinking Kevin Hart, I was thinking when you said it, I was like, is he going to go Kevin Hart? Um, It's going to be gritty Kevin Hart. <laughs> <laughs> trying to think of i've ever seen gritty kevin Hart. <laughs> i was like does that exist um oh this is tough because i'm like when i was watching this i was thinking like oh this movie probably wouldn't get made now and i, w- I was even trying to think of like yeah. i think if they remade it, it'd be way like funnier and take a lot of the violence and the dark stuff out um it's like fucking spencer confidential if they read now. A-, a movie i did not see and probably will never see <laughs> it's because it's it, nobody's
2: seen it, even though it's like one of the ten highest rated Netflix movies of all time.
1: That's what they yeah, allegedly. I mean allegedly <laughs> I didn't even mean to do that. Um I don't I'm not i am i am like Netflix, I don't believe you. I don't believe that stat. But um the funny thing is I I don't want I'm not trying to tie this back to Mortal Kombat necessarily, but I was like Mark Wahlberg or show Allen back. <laughs> like um I feel oh, they would I would know. watch it's not gonna be good, but I'll watch it. Yeah, I mean oh who could be Jimmy Dix. Um,
2: yeah, I don't like the Kevin Hart one, but I'm trying to think of
1: <laughs> I'm trying to think of a guy that also could realistically portray a quarterback. Which right. Which makes it tougher. Um, hmm. Man, could Chadwick Boseman have done something like this? I never really saw him in too much comedy, but like. I think Anthony Mackie could, maybe. Oh, yeah, that's okay. I think you just hit right there. I think Anthony Mackie yeah. could have done it. Um, yeah. And then uh Wahlberg again. I don't know. <laughs> like, um and I'm thinking of another Shane Black movie, and it's kind of the same well not the same part, but uh I really liked um uh oh god, Ryan Gosling in The Nice Guys, but it's kind of yeah. similar. Um yeah, they'd probably get like Anthony Mackie now and then and I don't know who would be Joe Hallen back. You got a few options there, but um yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think you're good, yeah. one, but I, I think if you were gonna
2: have Wahlberg, he would play like the Bruce McGill role because it's like a departed and basketball diaries reunion. <laughs> oh
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he could just come in and crush that part and and then leave the movie really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> like, just get out. Um man, yeah. Uh I, I'm still gonna think about this afterwards. I won't I won't keep drawing it up. I'll probably message you and be like, I got some casting choices.
0: <laughs> I I'm, excited. About it.
1: I'm excited. Um, but yeah, well this this was a ton of fun, man. Thank you so much for coming back and and doing this with me. So,
2: yeah, yo, thanks for having me back. This was this was just as fun as I thought it would be. So, um, and I'm I'm super happy to have a a
1: place to talk about the last Boy Scout. I almost <laughs> said the last action hero. So, <laughs> uh, well, I, we did that, but I could do it again. I'm sure. <laughs> I love that movie so much. So, um that uh oh, I almost finished without asking you because I always ask everybody. You kind of already hinted at it, but. can you pick your number one favorite tony scott movie or is that too difficult to pick between kind of your top Uh, three
2: (laughs) i mean right now just because i'm on a high from it i'd say the last boy scout but with any distance it would probably be either true romance or crimson tide and more often i would say crimson
1: tide i think oh yeah i can't argue with that that's (laughs) it's like i said i think it's like objectively probably his best movie top to bottom like uh, this Crimson has. Mm-hmm.
2: Is like the best arguing movie ever made. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, yes. I just rewatched it just because I wanted to. I the the show won't be for like two months on it, but I just wanted to rewatch Crimson Tide and uh yeah, it is like one of the best arguing movies. Like he made Tony Scott makes it so interesting. I mean, you already have like Hackman and Washington like going back and forth and like acting their balls off without like overacting i feel like they're just it's just very intense acting and it's so good and tony scott makes a movie that's basically all those people talking on a sub so interesting and uh you know shoots it so it's so exciting you know and it's so good like it's such a good movie like um yeah probably the best or one of the best arguing movies of all time i would agree with you on that (laughs)
2: yeah it's just it's so interesting because like those two guys are just so entrenched in their position like mm-hmm. nothing could budge them from their position like it doesn't matter how sound the reasoning is or like you know the you know regard to rank and like everything like that it's it's such an interesting movie because it's it, it could be just it could be about politics and two people just not seeing eye to eye it's just like how difficult it is to move somebody by arguing with them. It's it's really interesting.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's a great movie. <laughs> it's it's just so good. I'm excited to watch it again for that podcast because it's like, oh, oh yeah. I, I sit down and watch that. I'm like, not to not to again to like kind of crap on modern movies, but I'm like, oh, this is a movie. You know, like they just don't make them like this anymore. That kind of thing. i feel like, I, feel like I sound like an old man, but it's just something different about movies like *Crimson Tide*. <laughs>
2: I mean, like that that movie should if if Turner Classic movies like opened up the vault, so to speak, where it's just like instead of just for like Oscar month where they're just like we're letting in like a ton of 90s movies like Crimson Tide
1: should be on there. Yeah, I agree. I, I definitely agree with you on that one. Um, yeah. I think people will not be mad about that either. I uh, <laughs> So, um, yeah, it's, it's so good. Um, and I love the stretch from Last Boy Scout, True Romance, Crimson Tide. It's like the most interesting maybe best a stretch of his whole career so um yeah no, this this was so much fun so again thank you for coming on i'm going to let you uh plug anything you want to plug tell people what's coming up where they can find you all that kind of stuff
2: oh sure yeah um so i i write and i do podcasts for uh sometimes uh at the website fthismovie so that's the letter fthismovie.com um coming up in october is our big A horror themed month called Scary Movie Month. Um, So that's going to be all 31 days of horror movie content um, starting in October. We start off with like a a commentary track and then we're going to have, you know, probably like a, you know, like a half dozen podcasts of different horror movies and articles every day. And then we also have this thing called the Scary Movie Challenge, which is if anybody watches a scary movie during the month of October, you come to our site and post a seven word review of that movie. Um, and the ones that are, you know, the most clever, funny, interesting, um, have a good chance of being read on the podcast. So, um, definitely come by. It's a, it's a big kind of inclusive celebration of the genre. So we we would love to have you there. And then, um, for any of my other kind of like podcast appearances like i like on this show um go to uh twitter and follow me at risky atom, and i i retweet everything that i work on over there too
1: cool very good stuff and yeah i hope everyone participates in scary movie month it's so much fun like um it's yeah it's just a blast and the word reviews are so much fun just to read even like i just go through the comments every day and i'm like looking for for good ones and uh yeah, yeah. definitely participate in that. It's it's so much fun. Even if you feel like you don't like horror movies that much, I feel like you would probably get into it more. You know, it's just um, such a fun celebration of horror movies all month. This is great. Um, and uh, yeah, for for our stuff here, um, you can follow. Uh, well, actually, I have to say first, if you have not listened to us before, I appreciate you listening, and uh, please subscribe in the Apple Store um, and rate review us if you'd like. I'd really appreciate that. Um, and you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Film Feast Pod, and you can follow me on Twitter at MattBled87, and you can follow me and the podcast on Instagram at Film Feast, which is all just one word. Um, and October, uh, we're doing what a lot of people are doing. Like, yeah, this movie, I know, uh, Daniel Eppler Cobwebs, like, going all horror movie, uh, all month. So, um, Alleged. up, like, allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> Well, actually, it's funny you said that because I was going to say, like, uh, just because of my personal life being busy, but that's all good stuff, but my work life is crazy right now. Like, things are really crazy. So I don't know how – I was going to tell people, like, for October, things may be a little more sporadic, and they might not be, like, episodes every Friday and may not be every Friday in October because it's a really – crazy time right now <laughs> but um but i'm gonna do my best best i can because i love horror movies so much and i would like to put out as much content as i could in october so we'll definitely have something kick off on october 1st and a couple other things at least in the month and uh just do what i can <laughs> so just want to tell people that before october starts but it is gonna be fun um let's watch a bunch of horror movies uh and then more tony scott movies afterwards. <laughs> i need to see the empty man oh yeah you've got to see the empty man it's really good <laughs> it's should um, so on I've HBO? October. Yeah. Say, oh, yes. It's it's going to be a good October one. It's it's really special. I'm so sad they dumped that in theaters, because like, it's a really weird, interesting movie. So I, I hope you like it. I'm curious to hear your thoughts when you actually see it.
2: <laughs> so. Yeah, I'll let you know.
1: All right. Uh, well, Adam, thank you again so much for doing this. It was so much fun talking to you. Um, and thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will see you next time. Bye, everybody.